0: The biggest thing for me was feeling worthy of creating something myself, because for the longest time, I thought that's something that other people do. I realized not late, late 34, which is when I started really writing. That's not late, but it's it's later compared to some people. But I think I finally said, like, fuck it. Part inspiration, part education The whole artist with Courtney Roo Be your best you
1: Hey, thanks for listening to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue. I'm Courtney Rue, and today is our season one finale, and our guest today is one of my very best friends. Kelly O'Sullivan is an actor, writer, and director originally from North Little Rock, Arkansas. St. Francis, her first feature screenplay, which she also starred in, premiered at South by Southwest, where it won a special jury award for Breakthrough Voice and the Audience Award for Narrative Feature. As an actor, she's performed at Steppenwolf Theater, the Goodman Writers Theater, the Pacific Playwrights Festival and the Ojai Playwrights Conference, among many others. Her TV and film work includes two seasons on USA Sirens and independent films Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, Olympia, and Sleep With Me. She is a graduate of Northwestern University and the School at Steppenwolf and is a recipient of a Princess Grace Fellowship for Theater and is a Three Arts Make-A-Wave grantee. I really hope you feel like you're just kind of listening into a conversation between two good friends on the phone, because that's what it felt like for us. We had so much fun. I've listened to this twice already, and Kelly makes me laugh out loud so many times. She's one of the funniest people I know. We talk about her becoming a writer and what it took for her to think of herself as a writer. We talk about her performance anxiety and panic attacks on set. We also talk about shame. I swear to God, it's a really fun podcast. It is. It is really fun. Um, But we do get into some serious stuff. Kelly is really good at making jokes about very serious things. In talking about shame, it just always reminds me of Brene Brown. She is a shame researcher, and she also researches vulnerability. I was watching a TED Talk of hers recently, and she said that empathy is the antidote to shame. And if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. It needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. And if you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. And I think that's why making art is so important, because I think it teaches us to have empathy for people and to understand people's stories and to really consider, like, am I willing to see this differently? I tell my friends and clients this Byron Katie quote, what other people think of you is none of your business. And that's because what other people think of you is about them and their view of the world, and their experiences, and how they see things, and actually has nothing to do with you. And in the same way, what you think about other people only has to do with you. I think that when we judge other people, we also have a really bad habit of judging ourselves and feeling shame in ourself. And so if you can actually be empathetic to yourself, you're more likely to have empathy for other people. Because nobody's perfect, no matter how hard we try. We also talk about Emily Fletcher and my love for her meditation. And this conversation inspired me to go and do what I've been wanting to do for years, which is sign up for Emily's program at zivameditation.com. I don't know why I haven't signed up before, but currently, if you are a frontline medical worker, like doctor, paramedic, nurse, she is giving away the program for free. And if you are anybody else, it's half off right now. I am not an affiliate. I don't get anything for sharing this. I just have really been enjoying it. I'm on day seven or eight right now. It's a 15-day program you have access to for six months, and she teaches you how to meditate without any need for apps or gongs or music or anything. Just sit down and clear your stress. And what's great is she teaches you the neuroscience behind it and the why you should do it, which I think is really helpful to have the motivation to keep doing it. It's funny. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but all of a sudden I started getting all of these auditions and I got put on check avail, although I got released, but like all of this stuff started coming in and I was like, oh, I wonder if it's because I'm on day five of Emily's meditation program. We'll never know. Anyway, I hope you enjoy Kelly O'Sullivan as much as I do, which is a lot. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know you're listening. Also, shout out to sweet moonbeam seven for your sweet review on iTunes. That was so lovely to read. Thank you so much for that. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a review. We are climbing the charts of Performing Arts Podcast on iTunes and only 12 episodes in. Woohoo! And it's all thanks to your listens and your reviews and your shares. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Kelly O'Sullivan. Courtney Rue. Hi. Hi. I miss you.
0: I miss you. We didn't get our call on
1: Sunday, and so I was actually like, oh my gosh, I just get to talk to Courtney today. I know. So for those of you listening, we have a chosen family call every Sunday where our friends from now, like all over the country, I guess.
0: Yeah. We got Arizona.
1: And now that you're in Kentucky, we got Kentucky. Oh, that's right. That's right. I don't think of
0: myself as a Kentuckian, but I've been here for almost four months, so I think I
1: qualify. I can't even believe we've been in quarantine longer than four months. Isn't that crazy? I think back to when it just
0: started and and time stopped existing at that point. You could have told me it was two
1: years or like two days and I would have believed it. (laughs) We had a bet going for when we'd be out of quarantine, didn't we? Yeah, I said two weeks and I lost. I think all of us lost. I was the world delusional. lost. delusional.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, there's got to be something really good just around the corner. There has to be. Yeah, just- yeah. According to World Balance, something's got to change soon. I like it. Such an optimist. <laughs> it's
1: got to change. It has to change. As I week. <laughs> well, thanks for being here today. I'm excited to talk to you about your career. Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know that I'll have anything interesting or helpful to say, but I can tell some war stories. People can yeah. avoid some <laughs> missteps that I've taken. <laughs>
1: I would love to hear all about your missteps. <laughs> okay, good. Let's start with Arkansas. You grew up there, and when did you decide that you wanted to start acting? I started doing theater at six years old at the <gasps> local children's
0: theater. Yeah, and so what? I started very, very young. I played one of the Hummel children in Little Women, and you might not know them because they die of scarlet fever. <laughs> I played how a child. Early in the play. <laughs> I don't think I made it to act two.
1: I've been in one of those plays, though. It's really nice to be in the dressing room for like most of the play just reading.
0: I think I had two minutes of onstage time and I was like, can I just get back to hanging out with my friends? And that's still the way I feel where anytime I'm in a play that I have a very small part. I'm like, awesome. That means I just get to like be in the dressing room and talk to people for longer.
1: (laughs) So you started acting at six. When did you know that it was something that you wanted to do professionally?
0: I feel like at six. From that mm-hmm. time on, I was like, if I could just have this be my whole life, then I would be. And I think I sort of entertained ideas of other things. Like for a while, I was like, maybe I'll train Shamu at SeaWorld. And then of course, like I learned how terrible that was. And I was like, no, well, I you watched Blackfish. <laughs> That's right. Much <laughs> later, I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't go into that. But I think I just always knew that I loved it. I continued to do plays throughout my entire childhood and into high school. And I was like, if I can just keep going in this direction, then I think that's going to make me happy.
1: Were your parents always supportive? Very
0: much so. But they didn't want me to make it a career. Really? They were like, if you can just keep this to be a hobby, that would be great. Because I think parents are so worried about their kids. It's a very natural thing to be like, how are you going to make money? and as a young person you're like that won't matter and then later <laughs> as an adult you're like it's going to matter that matters
1: <laughs> it
0: matters a lot so they always came and you know they saw me in every play that I was ever in they drove me to rehearsals so many times a week but i think they were nervous for me what did they want you to do anything that was more secure they never suggested anything but they were just sort of always like are you sure okay but then you know they let go to Northwestern and major in theater. So they never actually sat me down and said, don't do this, which I'm very grateful for.
1: That's awesome. So speaking of Northwestern, how did you choose that being from Arkansas? Did you know about it? I knew about it because my grandfather went there. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm a legacy, which I think is why I got in. (laughs) But I knew that I wanted to go somewhere that was far away that had a vibrant theater scene. And then I went to visit Northwestern. And it was just the most beautiful place that I had ever been before. And I'd heard that the theater program was incredible. And I'd heard that Julia Louis-Dreyfus had gone there. Yeah. And I loved her so much from Seinfeld. So I was like, this feels like a good fit. And the other place that I could have gone was
1: NYU. And I think that would have just been too much of a culture shock for me. Yeah. Did you know how big of an impact going to Northwestern would have on your life and your career?
0: I don't think so. I mean, even beyond career, like my friend group, mm-hmm. which is just as important to me as my career. I don't think I ever would have known like I'll still be friends with those people 15 years out and hopefully 30 years out, you know, 60 years out. But certainly I didn't know that I was going to do theater right out of college and that I would sort of make relationships in Chicago that are still serving me today.
1: How did you transition from 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 college graduate to professional actor. I got
0: really lucky and I did the school at Steppenwolf in between my sophomore and junior year and so really you did it that young I know I look back on it and I'm like I was 20 years old I couldn't drink what was I doing I missed out (laughs) on all the hangout times because I was illegal (laughs) you couldn't go to a bar (laughs) I couldn't go to a bar yeah but then after I did that I started looking more in terms of oh okay as a career not just doing college shows how Mm -hmm. can I start to get my foot out the door and so then I started auditioning for things in Chicago and I got an agent who I'm still with um, through doing that program. Wow. Luckily it was a not an easy transition because I don't think any part of this career is easy. But I feel like I was kind of off to a good start after graduating. Did you work professionally
1: before you even graduated?
0: I did. Yeah. I did a show my senior year at Profiles Theater. Mm. That terrible, terrible
1: now (laughs) defunct Thank God. Thank God.
0: Thank God, yeah. But I did a
1: show there,
0: The Glory of Living.
1: I remember reading that play when I was younger and really enjoying it.
0: It's devastating. It's a beautiful play. And that experience was sort of terrible. But I also got really good reviews and it sort of helped my career. So I'm sort of aware of the duality of that all the time. The duality Mm. of that experience where behind the scenes, it was a total nightmare. But luckily, my acting was noticed and
1: I started getting jobs from there. Did it ever make you second guess your choice to do theater or to like move to Chicago?
0: No, I don't think so. I think I was even at the time able to say this asshole. Like, (laughs) I think I was like, I'll never do a show here again. Mm. But I also met people in that show who I thought were lovely and who I wanted to work with again. And I loved being a part of that larger community. Even yeah, yeah, even then it wasn't enough to make me want to stop. Mm. It just was enough to say, oh, okay, maybe don't work with this kind of personality ever again.
1: Right. Yeah. So it gave you some goals. For the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: no assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag no assholes if possible. It's not always possible. That And it's that's not. the other hard thing. Like especially when we're young, it feels like we have so little choice and so little agency mm-hmm. that we're going to not always be able to walk off a set. I mean, I guess we can, but it's kind of instilled in us. That to not. Do to yeah.
1: It. Like you're going to be difficult if you do that. Totally. Have you ever been in that situation where you have used that agency? I'm trying to think. God, is it depressing if I say no? I mean, I
0: feel like really what I've done is I've started making my own stuff Yeah, out of that kind of frustration of saying, oh, I don't necessarily like all the sets that I go on to or like all the roles that I'm handed. And so the alternatives to start making your own work.
1: Yeah. When did you start doing that? I had sort of always been writing
0: little snippets of things here and there, never intending to show them to anyone. And then with a friend, I wrote a web series in the heyday of, you know, everybody having web series, Mm -hmm. that never really came into anything. And then I started writing my first feature script, which became St. Francis. So I had sort of always in my head wanted to and in my heart wanted to, but I don't think I had ever really found the story that I felt compelled to finish and to put out into the world in a real way.
1: Yeah, I saw you were interviewed at one of your film festivals saying that you hadn't really finished anything that you wrote, which I don't think is true. You know, you wrote that short that I feel like was the beginning of St. Francis.
0: Oh, that yeah, that's true. That was an improvised short. So I can't mm. say that I that I wrote that short. It We just kind of got together and improvised it. But I do think it was the releasing that onto Facebook. And it's a short about abortion and seeing the response that we got, which was overwhelmingly positive, I think gave me, again, the permission to say, could I write a whole feature starting
1: with this thing? Did you always know that St. Francis would be a feature when you started writing it?
0: I don't think so. I think I started just writing a scene. Mm. And then as I was doing that, Alex was like, I think this is more than a scene. Alex, who is my real life partner and director and who would go on to direct the film. And so I kind of let my imagination take me where it wanted to go. And and that's how it became originally 180 pages long.
1: And then h- what did it end up as?
0: 110 pages.
1: You had to cut a lot from that. Was that hard?
0: It was difficult, I think, because it was the first thing that I had ever written. I was still being sort of precious about it and thinking, no, we need all this for context. Do you miss it now? I miss parts of it. There are some really good lines in there, I think. Can you use them in another story?
1: I probably will.
0: Yeah, I'll probably just (laughs) recycle them, repurpose
1: them, and put them in somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, you have celebrities like Glennon Doyle tweeting about your film, choosing the best screen grab of you, by the way. You look stunning in that. Thank God. There were some other choices that she could
0: have used. I feel like she was really looking out for me in that screen grab. That was awesome. And the thing that was so crazy about it is I was literally reading her book. So Untamed. crazy. Yeah. And then Rebecca Ward, who's in the movie, texted me and she was like, do you know who Glennon Doyle is? She just tweeted about your movie. And I was like, this is bizarre.
1: We had all on our weekly call just talked about Glennon Doyle and Untamed and like bought each other the books and yeah, we're reading it. And so for her to tweet about how much she loved your film, what do you think resonates so much with people in your film? I just feel like everybody has been saying it's their favorite film of either this year or last year. Why is it different? I think there's a vulnerability and an
0: authenticity. I think especially when it comes to being a woman and the sort of messy experiences that we have that we've been encouraged to keep private. And I think there's Mm -hmm. something really lovely about seeing those experiences, and they're not the butt of a joke, and they're not hugely depressing either. It's not the source of, like, melodrama. It's supposed to just be real and be an accurate representation of some of those experiences. And I think that that is refreshing for a lot of people to be able to look at the screen and say, yeah, that's how that is, or I feel in some way seen by that. And I don't think women have gotten a ton of opportunities for that to be the case, especially when it comes to abortions, periods, the pressure to be the sole ones responsible for keeping ourselves not pregnant, Mm -hmm. things like that that we're encouraged not to talk about.
1: Where Viagra is on your health insurance for free, but birth control cannot be. It's such... Bullshit. I
0: don't know that we're allowed to like cuss on this podcast. You can cuss all you want. It's bullshit. Oh, I mean, it's just, it's crazy because you think about like, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. Mm-hmm. People don't want us to have access to birth control or sex ed. Yeah, or reproductive rights. It's like, to be a woman in any way means every corner you turn
1: you're going to be greeted with a wall and then god forbid you like can't afford children god forbid you get on welfare because right. you can't afford children but no one taught you or or let you have the tools necessary to not have those children it's infuriating
0: oh there was a director i think it's Eliza Hitman who directed never rarely sometimes always and she said that the world is antagonistic towards young women and when i heard that i was like That is the most succinct, honest way of describing what it's like to be a young woman, where it is a system that is rigged against us. At every turn, it's
1: really hard to say, no, this is how I want my life to go. So you feel like in St. Francis, you talk about how there's no shame in talking about your period. Have women reached out to you or even men reached out to you and shared stories from their life about things that they've been shameful of? Or yeah, did people reach out to you with more empathy for people in like situations where maybe they would have made a different choice?
0: Yeah, so many women have stayed afterwards to talk to me about their experiences and not just with abortion, but with postpartum or period stories. I had a woman who I was at a festival in Montana. I was like walking outside. I had just come out of the theater and she stopped her car and she got out and she said, I had postpartum. It's not something I ever see. And it felt so real in your movie and i just want to say thank you for putting it in i was so floored and humbled and also very motivated to keep doing work That takes the things that we've been encouraged to keep private and things that we've been made to feel shame for and to say, no, we don't have to feel ashamed of that. And we're not alone. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of things like that. I've had women in their 70s who have come up and said, and I had two abortions and I love this movie for letting us know that that's okay."
1: Yeah. You had already known about my abortion, but I feel like only my close friends and close family knew about it what your film did, like at South by Southwest, I'm like in line with people telling them my story about when I was, what, 22 years old, or whenever it happened, and, and why I made that choice. And not that I have to say why, but like, yeah, it just gave me the courage. So I want to thank you for giving people the courage to actually talk about it. Because I think because it's such a shameful topic, nobody talks about it. People don't realize that. What are the statistics? One out of four. One out of four women have had at least one.
0: Isn't that wild? I, I had no idea about that. But, Courtney, you gave me a lot of courage, too, because I remember at LSAC walking on treadmills next to each other. Yeah. And you were like, what are you up to? And I was like, I'm writing this movie about this nanny who's also gotten an abortion. And you were like, oh, my God, that sounds so good. And we had this conversation about it. And I also straight up stole a scene. (laughs) <laughs>
1: I love what that you scene. described. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have your abortion while you were nannying, but I actually did while I was babysitting someone in the industry, actually, their son. I like remember looking down at this like six month old in my arms and just like not having regret, but just being like thinking about the choice that I made. And I don't know, I just had a really emotional experience, like holding a six month old right after I had had an abortion.
0: And I think that's an incredibly complex experience that doesn't equal regret. Like you were saying, like you didn't regret your choice. It just summons up all of these feelings. Right. Yeah. And that's so much of what the movie is about is saying I do have feelings about this and they don't have to be guilt or regret.
1: Yeah, and they can be a number of feelings. I can't, I don't just have to have one feeling about it. That's right. Because
0: I think at least for me, sometimes I was like, am I a bad feminist even for having feelings? Which, of course, now is like, no. no. Feminism is just saying we, we have a right to our complex feelings. Right. But it's there was a moment rights. for me where I was like, maybe I should just feel nothing about this. And that wasn't the truth for me. It's true for a lot of people. I think whatever people's experiences should be honored. You know, there's a wide breadth of experiences out there as individual as the people involved. But for me, I was interested in exploring what's it like to have an abortion and then be angry that the world shames you for this.
1: Right. It's such a good movie. I love that you made it. You're so brave for like telling your own story. How was it to come out to people and say at film festivals and stuff, you know, or like have your parents read an article? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cause that's something different. Like I had told my parents in the moment and my mom came with me. But yeah. like for you, your parents didn't know. And then to find out from like a news article. They did not know.
0: Sorry, mom and dad. No, was really, I love my parents, but I'm not in conversation with them about the ins and outs of my daily personal life. And I was worried, honestly, that they would judge me in some way. And yeah. so it wasn't until the movie got into South by Southwest that I was like, Oh, shit, this might be seen by people. I should maybe talk to my parents about this. And by that time, they had already read an article where it was like, (laughs) (laughs) based on her real life abortion story that I was like, Oh, yeah. And my mom was so funny. She's amazing. And she just sent me a text that said, I've always admired what a kind person you are. But now I really admire your courage. And I was like, I love your mom. It's like, damn, mom. Like sometimes parents really surprise you by saying the absolute right thing when you're worried that they might say the wrong thing.
1: And I love that scene in the movie with your mom where she talks about wanting to shake the baby.
0: Yeah. And that's a true story. She really told me that when I was a baby – She imagined taking me by the ankles and slamming my head against the wall so that she wouldn't actually do it. The way that she tells it, it's just so funny. Mm. She's like, well, if I imagined it, you know, then I would feel so guilty that I wouldn't do it. And I thought that that was like perfect because that's such a real layered,
1: complex human experience to have that women don't talk about that often you haven't had a baby so you haven't experienced postpartum depression right Mm -mm. how did you write about that in such a real way that like a woman could approach you and say that felt so real to me and thank you for writing that
0: I did a lot a lot of reading on message boards where people are very honest and you know they're having conversations about what it's like to be going through that and then I also you know we have some people in our extended circle who have gone through postpartum. And I tried to just really pay attention and to honor what I was hearing and what I was reading and to put that in the hands of the brilliant Charine Alvarez. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Oh God, I just want her to be in everything. You wrote it for her, right? I did. Yeah, I can't believe she said yes. That's the way I feel about Lily too. Oh, Lily was amazing too. Chicago actors, Uh, we've been minimally tapped in terms of our full potential. Yeah. And I just want the world to know how badass we are because it's a community of
1: amazingly talented people who are, again, not assholes for the most part. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. Why do you choose to live in Chicago and be an actor in Chicago instead of in L.A. or New York? I've lived in L.A. before. I was in L.A. for a
0: relationship before. He was on a TV show and, you know, was very quote-unquote successful. Mm -hmm. And I was his, like, unemployed girlfriend slash fiance. And I feel like that gave me a very unique window into the bullshit that LA can be the way that people instantly size you up. How important are you? How
1: successful are you? Right. And it has nothing to do with your being a whole human.
0: Totally. Yeah. So I think I spent about a year and a half there when the relationship ended. I was like, well, I'm definitely going back to Chicago because in many ways I feel seen as an artist in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a very supportive community for the most part. And, you know, all my friends were there. I love so much of the theater that happens here. You know, my agent is here. It just feels like a good place to be creative, not just to, I don't know, try to be in however many movies a year or however many guest stars you can, but to have your
1: creativity fed. Yeah. I feel like when you came back from LA, that's when we really started to become friends. Both of us have grown so much in the 12 years that we've known each other. I think it's been that long. What do you think, like, has been the most growth for you or how do you feel like you've grown as a person as an artist the
0: biggest thing for me was feeling worthy of creating something myself wow yeah because for the longest time I thought that's something that other people do people who know more than me or or who are smarter than me or have something figured out that I don't have or who were born with a certain kind of genius mm. I realized not late late 34 which is when I started really writing that's not late but it's it's later compared to some people but i think i finally said like fuck it (laughs) in a in a really nice way in a liberating way did that happen
1: overnight was that something you had been working on
0: i think i had been working towards it for years in very small ways again in like writing a scene that nobody would ever see and nobody will ever see and sort of saying i think i would like to write and like saying that repeatedly. I mean, I'm sure it's kind of frustrating to be a friend of somebody who's like that because you're like, yeah, I've heard that for four years. When are you going to do something? (laughs) I never (laughs) felt that way. (laughs) (laughs) But at some point, I do think we sort of have to like talk ourselves into it if we don't automatically feel like we can do
1: it. I think it's a process of letting ourselves pursue something fully. Did being on a show like Sirens help your confidence and your worthiness or was that just something that happened along the way?
0: You know, weirdly, it helped in terms of being a writer because I improvised in my callback. It was like a huge part of my callback. And the creator, Bob Fisher, later told me, like, at the end of our final season, season two, he said, I think you're a writer. Wow and i was like oh that's really nice but that's one of those pieces of warmth that you like put into your heart and save for a cold day yeah strangely enough i don't feel like my confidence grew as an actor i still am working on my confidence as an on-screen actor but as a writer i think that was A big moment.
1: It's funny that you say that because when I think anybody looks at you like on Sirens or St. Francis or anything else that you've done on screen, you're so talented for someone on the outside to look at you and think like you don't have confidence as an on camera actor. What do you say to people who also feel the same way? Oh, I just feel very lucky when I'm able to talk to somebody
0: who feels the same way that I do. Because I feel like there's this projection of if you're an actor, you must have total confidence. You must like be really outgoing or
1: egotistical even
0: totally or like want to be in the limelight all the time. Yeah. And I feel most connected to the actors who are kind of Insecure and maybe introverted, and who really have to hype themselves up in order to like get out on stage opening night. I feel much more connected to people, like, because that's my experience. Whenever a student of mine is like, I have performance anxiety, I say, me too. Mm.
1: And then we talk about that. And by the end, I think we feel less alone. Instead of feeling shame for something that you feel. Yeah. Realizing that most people feel the same way. I mean, that's something I've learned from coaching people is that pretty much everyone is insecure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mike thinks they're not worthy, thinks they're not good enough. Have I ever told you the story about Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, and Julianne Moore? No. Please tell me. So this was around the time that The Hours came out. And mm-hmm. they were on Oprah. They were like having a tea party on Oprah.
0: Oh, my gosh. Just that image. I got to go back and watch this.
1: Oh, yeah, you do. I'll f- I'll find the YouTube link for you. So they're on Oprah having this tea party. And Oprah says something to Nicole Kidman about getting a divorce from Tom Cruise right before the hour started. Mm. She was like, what was that like? And Nicole Kidman said, well, I called my agent and I quit the film. Wow. She goes, but actually, I do that before every film I do. (laughs) And Meryl Streep goes, oh, my God, you're kidding. Me, too. What? Like, Oprah's like, what? And Meryl Streep's like, yeah, I call the producer and tell them who I think would be better in the role than me oh my god (laughs) Julianne Moore said oh I don't do that but I think everything I do is the worst thing I've ever done and I'll never work again
0: we're not alone we're not alone (laughs) see and I love that story I think that's very liberating I've I've talked to some young actors and they're like oh my god when I say that like I'm still terrified of auditioning and opening nights they're like oh my god is that going to be my forever and then I get to be
1: like but if you know that's just always the way it's going to be there's a certain freedom and if you know that other people feel the exact same way it's just like that's human nature and
0: that's just the way yeah that's just part of it
1: it doesn't mean that you're not worthy because you think you're not worthy that's right which i think gives you the freedom to be like oh well if meryl streep thinks she's not worthy and I know she is, like, maybe that's the same for me. I obsessively read about
0: actors who have panic attacks because I've had panic attacks on set before. Cherry Jones, who's, like, you know, this incredible stage actor, she apparently, her stage fright got to be so bad that she would, like, walk off in the middle of productions. Really? Yeah, in the middle of shows. And I would I just, like, read obsessively, and I've read stories about Carrie Mulligan having a panic attack on set because it makes me realize there's a way to have an incredibly successful career Even if your worst fear comes to fruition, which for me, it's I get a panic attack on set and the world goes away and I'm not able to speak. And that's happened. That happened on Sirens.
1: Did it really? It really did. What did you do in the moment?
0: I had one line. Okay, so this was like one of the final things that we were shooting. I had one line and my entire fear for two years had been I'm going to mess up and they're going to see that I'm bad. And so it got to my one line. I flubbed it. And I think because I had put all this pressure on myself of, if you ever mess up, they're going to see what a fake you are. I instantly had a panic attack. It's bizarre. It's like suddenly being put underwater. I couldn't hear anybody. People were talking to me. I couldn't hear them. That must be so scary in the moment. It was so scary because it's also not something that you can really address. Or I think now I could. I think I could be like, "I, I just need a minute. I think I'm having a panic attack, but I'll be fine. Just give me a minute. But it had never happened before. And so I remember them just being like, "Okay, let's go again. Reset. Action. And I didn't speak. I was just like, oh, my God. This is a literal nightmare. And I eventually made my way through it. We somehow got a usable take. People were lovely
1: to me about it. And you didn't get fired. And they didn't think you were not a good actor. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Again, the Saint Bob Fisher came up to me and he said, no, it just proves you're human. And I was like, oh, God, because, you know, you fear. You hear horror stories in the industry what happens if you mess up
1: yeah like you'll be blacklisted or
0: totally but from my experience people are lovely about it and then i saw sort of not exactly but similar things happen with other actors at different points of filming that show where for whatever reason there will be one line that a person just cannot get out and you know then you start to see them getting in their own heads
1: and then it's, like, self-sabotaging of, like, you, because you have such shame and such, like, embarrassment and such, like, you, you want to get it right and you're putting this pressure on yourself, then you keep messing it up. Totally.
0: But it was really freeing for me to be, like, these are the leads of the show and they're also having this moment. You know, again, that recognition of we all want to be perfect, but nobody is. It's more about how do you recover from that? And how do you keep going and get back up on the horse? Because there was a a while after that that I was like, I just shouldn't do on camera stuff.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad that you
0: still do. Me too, but I'm still scared. That hasn't gone away. Do you meditate before you go on set? I did when you sent me that meditation when I was
1: screen testing for this pilot and it really helped. I love that meditation so much. Emily Fletcher. If you ever listen to this, I love you so much. Come on the podcast. I
0: I love it so much because it says the thing which I never thought to say to myself, which is give yourself permission to fail. And then I think if you give yourself permission to fail, you liberate yourself. And all of a sudden, you're not just trying to do it right. You're saying, I can be messy in the way that I do this.
1: I remember going and visiting a friend in college at Madison, and she was taking a dance class, and I like went to watch her dance class. Professor said, replace ambition with curiosity. I have carried that with me forever since then. Don't try to do it right. Be curious about how it could go.
0: And again, I think that's connected to creativity. Curiosity and creativity are really connected, whereas success... And ambition, that's like a completely different, impossible, actually sort of definitionless, (laughs) like, what in the world does that even mean? Whereas, like you're saying, if you're just following this sort of playful curiosity, then I do think that like sort of inner child is going to come out and you're going to start having fun with it again, which is the thing that we can be robbed of when we make this a career is we like stop having fun and we start making it, oh God, I got to make this amount of money or, or reach this milestone. And, and then, or, or I have to move to a place I don't want to live just because that's where everybody should live when they're an actor. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, be in business relationships that make you feel like garbage because I need this manager. So I got to, like, be with this asshole, you know? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny? As we say it out loud, it's like, of course that's bullshit. But it's really actually hard
1: to give yourself permission to follow through on. Well, yeah. I think what helps is having your own definition of success and being confident in that. And, like, keep reminding yourself that just because someone's definition of success is to be, like, this famous Hollywood star You don't have to do that just because you're an actor and that's what like success should look like as an actor.
0: That's right. Yeah. Are you feeling fulfilled? Are you feeling inspired to keep going?
1: Or has your career started to feel like something that you're dragging along? Oh, my God. So many times my career has felt like that and I have allowed myself to take a break or like even think that I'm quitting and just get re-energized by doing things that light me up and fill me up. And it's just been really helpful for me. Does that happen to you? Yeah. I mean, Courtney, I'm even just thinking about your story, like your trajectory.
0: Like, I remember the conversation when you were like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, hey, Chicago Med. Like, hey, all these (laughs) incredible voiceover gigs. There there was something about. I let go. Yes.
1: I was like holding on so
0: tight. (laughs) It was kind of magical. I think in my head, I was like. I'll go home tonight and I'll say I'm quitting and just like see what the universe does. But I didn't mean it. So it didn't result right. in any jobs. You're like, no, I swear I'm, I'm quitting. Yeah, I'm out the door. I'm walking away. It's not throwing your hands up, but it's it's choosing something and saying, I'm not going to walk in that direction anymore. I'm going to try a new direction that then I think having that sort of agency again. Yeah. Sort of ignites you as a person and makes you
1: more confident in any room you walk in. So what do you do in your free time that helps you recharge and lights you up and makes you feel like a whole person?
0: I read. That's a huge part of how I just experience the world is I read all different kinds of things, novels and nonfiction and, you know, inspirational books and tons of interviews. I'm always watching interviews with people because it helps me look at the world from a different point of view. It really grows my sense of empathy. Sure. It helps your writing, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've started reading screenplays of movies that I really love. It's my new favorite thing that if I see a movie that I'm like, this movie is brilliant, then I want to see where it started, or at least what it looks like on the page. Do you do that with pilots too? I haven't as much. No, I've only done it with features, but I think you and I maybe talked about this before. Yeah.
1: Well, we watched the masterclass together with, I think it was Shonda Rhimes, wasn't it? Yeah. And she talks about going back and watching pilots. And so I did that. I like, I think I watched the pilot of community. I I watched a bunch of them, but it was really fun to like go back and see how it all started. And I restarted Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm, I've never seen it. Oh my God! I love that show, although now cop shows are oh, not yeah. the greatest, but yeah. brooklyn nine nine it's it was just funny to see how much the actors like grew their character and changed over time. like there's this really hard ass cop, but she's like super tough, she's got this low voice and on the inside, she's really soft, but on the outside she's like mm-hmm. a, like a hard shell and then in the pilot and like for the first season, I think she her voice was like up here, and she was like had a really high voice, and I'm like, that's not what she sounds like. Totally. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me as a theater actor, because I feel like the
0: weeks of rehearsal that it takes me to really start to understand a character. Sometimes it's not until like the closing show that I'm like, oh, I think I finally (laughs) understand this character. I think that's one of the hardest things about on-screen acting and especially TV that moves so fast is you don't really have that rehearsal time. And so it makes tons of sense to me that it takes people a while to sort of figure out who their person is. Stephanie Beatrice plays Rosa
1: on Brooklyn Nine Nine.
0: Did you have rehearsals in St. Francis? We didn't really. We had I want to say two or three table reads where we talked about the script and the first table read was unofficial because it was
1: just you and Jackson Peter Evans. Yeah. I still have a memory of that. Just like reading your script for the first time and being like, like tears flowing down my face being like, this is so amazing. I'm so proud
0: of you. Oh my God. You guys are so nice. I think that was the 180 page version too. So we were there
1: for hours. But I still had time to go see a movie that night, so totally fine. Oh, good. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> but no, we didn't have rehearsal. There was something, too, about
0: so many of the cast knew each other, since I had written certain roles for certain actors, that it was kind of like, let's just see what happens. And we lucked out. And the it- Every actor was incredibly prepared and so professional and just beautiful on the day. But that's the other thing about independent film is you don't really have the time to rehearse because you want to pay people and you can't really pay them for rehearsal time. Yeah. What did you learn about doing the festival circuit? Just that I am a beginner, like I am a brand new baby guppy fish in this ocean that has existed for forever. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt just like I was walking into this world. But I was like, oh, my God, so many of these people know each other. And it's like, yes, of course. <laughs> it's a whole community. But I also learned about real passion for independent film, that places that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like, again, Missoula, Montana.
1: Yeah. I love that my Scott's aunt went and saw St. Francis and got to meet you in Missoula. Did she get to meet you? Did you guys talk to each yes. other? Yes. Uh, yes. And that's so special because they got to see it in a theater. Yeah. This film,
0: this like relatively tiny film that I can't believe that people, you know, all over the world
1: got to go to see it in theaters. I can't, people... I keep thinking about that because South by Southwest got canceled. And if you yeah. would have written St. Francis a year later. I've whew. been thinking about that constantly because you won both the Critics Award and the Audience Award. Award at South by Southwest and a lot of awards all over the world. What was that like for you? And then, yeah, like, what do you think is happening with the people who got chosen to be at the festivals this year?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's career changing. It really is. That reception at South by Southwest literally launched Alex and my careers as filmmakers. It got yeah. us our agents. We got to travel the world for an entire year and connect with other filmmakers. We are now getting meetings with companies, production houses that Make movies that we love. So, when I think about the way this pandemic is affecting whoever that next team was that was yeah. about to have their sort of initiation into this world, I just hope they get it through another route because it would have changed everything for us. There was still a South by Southwest online. I'm not sure the people who won those awards, I'm not sure what's going on for them. I'm hoping that the industry is still really paying attention to them. I don't know. It's such a bizarre unknown time for everybody. And then something as delicate as independent film. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to affect things. We've talked a lot in the past about writing down your goals. Do you still do that? Oh, Courtney, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I don't think I've done that since quarantine started.
1: I have done it very rarely. It like takes a lot of effort to write down goals for me right now because I'm like, what's
0: going to (laughs) happen? Yes. It's hard to set goals because we don't know what the future is going to look like. Yeah. But I know that I hold myself way more accountable when I write those things down. You know, I'm not religious. I'm not really like a woo-woo person. But I do think there's some like woo-woo magic that comes with writing things down because... I've achieved a lot of the things, not all of them,
1: certainly not all of them, but a lot of the things. What are some of the things that you have written down that have come to fruition?
0: Pretty much every good thing that happened for St. Francis,
1: I wrote down. Oh, I remember... (laughs) When we were at a party, right? And we were like, let's well, everybody like say one goal or write down one goal or something like that. Didn't that happen yes. and you had written down like, I get into South by Southwest? Yes. Yes. It felt very, I mean, we call
0: ourselves the coven. Yeah. But I do think there's some like, whatever magic that happened around St. Francis started with me literally writing down. Was it at tea? I think
1: it probably was at our Christmas tea. We have a Christmas tea every year and we go around and say like, our goals for the year. And a lot of them, I remember being about St. Francis. That's right.
0: And in the beginning, it was writing down like, I will write 10 more pages Mm -hmm. of this. Like it was because I remember you told me, well, what are some smaller goals Mm that will get you to that big goal? And so in the beginning, it was very much just like, I'm able to write another 10 pages. Yeah. And then eventually that became like we shoot this summer. And Lily and Charine say yes to these roles. And eventually it was, yeah, we premiere at South by Southwest and maybe win an award.
1: Maybe win an award. How many awards
0: (laughs) did you win for this film? Luckily, we won a lot over the course of its entire festival run, which is, you know, very lucky. Everywhere you went, you like won an
1: award. (laughs) Not everywhere, but a lot of places. (laughs) A lot of places. What was your favorite place that you went?
0: I'll say my favorite award that we won was in Poland, where abortion is still illegal. Wow. And we won the Audience Award. Wow. And that was so meaningful to me because it was a way of acknowledging, even though politically, you know, this country is, from my point of view, behind on reproductive rights. Yeah. There's a hunger for this kind of story. And there are people who are saying, we want more of this. We want this kind of experience to be seen and not be in the shadows.
1: Wow. That's incredible. And personally, what country did you enjoy most? Oh, I just ate
0: everything in Paris. (laughs) So we won an award in Paris, too. And I had bought this dress, like, in a boutique in Paris, and I thought I looked so slamming. I thought I looked amazing. I look (laughs) at that picture now. That dress is crazy. But I was like surrounded by the magic of Paris and was just like, I'm so chic. This baguette, like everything (laughs) about my memory. I just loved it so much. I would bet a hundred bucks. You look amazing in that I'll send you the picture. It's really wild. There are like orange fans all over the dress. I'm like, (laughs) who is this? I wear jeans and a t-shirt every day of my life. Whenever I go to Europe, I am walking all the time, and the food is just so good good. that it doesn't do
1: anything bad to you. I know. I have huge digestion issues here. Gluten-free now, but I wasn't always. In Italy, I wasn't, and I could eat pasta, bread, cheese, everything, not hurt my stomach at all. I just want to move Yeah, because
0: then you go for, like, a six-mile walk afterwards
1: amongst all the
0: beautiful buildings. And it's just, you know, part of how you live your life. Here, I was just looking at Fitbits online
1: Mm. because I was like, I'm not moving at all in quarantine. I've been trying to walk every day, like, an hour a day, which has been really nice. I'll listen to a podcast or call a friend.
0: That's just good, too, because I've read all these articles about how walking is really
1: associated with creativity. Hmm. I do have some good ideas on my walks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's important. You're, you know, you have all the stimulus, your blood is flowing, that writers throughout history have walked or run. And it's a huge part of a writing process
1: for a lot of people. I love that. I know when you came back from Europe, you and Alex walked more. I feel like when Scott and I came back from Italy, that was his first time in Europe. And he used to complain about walking a lot. And now he (laughs) likes to walk because of that. Change yeah, and it was people. just a
0: way of like preserving that memory too, the memory of that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. Wanting to bring it back.
1: Before you go, what is something that might surprise people about you? Oh gosh. I think I'm just like the biggest softy
0: there is. And I don't know that people necessarily, maybe they do. I don't know. I feel like I've
1: gotten better as I've gotten older about letting people see. I would say that's true. Because yeah. when I first met you, I feel like you might have been a little guarded. Totally. But I don't know if that's just because we know each other now better. And like I wouldn't, like if I met you today, would I still think that about you? I don't know. I don't think so.
0: I hope not. I think I used to have this sort of archaic outlook that I don't know, to be strong meant being guarded and sort Mm -hmm. of keeping people at arm's length. And now I've really learned that vulnerability is The biggest strength in the world. What other thing? Oh, also, I mean, I think about my teeth every day. One of my front teeth came off when I ran into a glass door on ninth grade picture day. And every (laughs) day I'm like, this is the day that my tooth is going to break in half. And in quarantine, I've been thinking about that a lot because
1: I'm like, do Uh I go to the dentist or do I just live a new life? I think about getting Invisalign. People compliment me on my teeth, but I'm like, what are you talking? I like an overlap. Courtney, I look at your teeth. Honest to God, every Marco Polo we send,
0: I'm like, that is a person with great teeth. Really?
1: Yes. I appreciate that because that is not how I feel about my teeth. Well, it's a
0: lesson that the things that we are insecure about other people really find to be valuable and beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's true. Speaking of Marco Polo, do you listen to Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard?
0: I've listened to a couple of
1: episodes, but I don't listen as regularly as you do. They talk about Marco Polo all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And Monica was like, I can't believe they are starting to charge me for two times. I need my two times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You got to be able to fast forward.
0: That is bullshit about Marco Polo. Right? I am, de- I am, like, about to delete the app because of the blatant money grab. I know. It's such bullshit. Well, it's like a drug. They get us hooked. Yep. They, they gave us, get the us free us cocaine. Its- yeah, a stable supply, and then they say we're upping our prices. Yeah. And a couple of very strong people like you, Mike, would walk away from that. And yeah. And for me, I'm like, is it in my budget? I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, That's what debt. I- I have FaceTime. I don't need I don't need you, Marco Polo. It's so
1: different. FaceTime is like a phone call. It is I guess. different. It is. I guess. Dex was like, how how much is it? And she's like, like seven bucks. He's like, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: they can afford it. They'll be fine. They yeah. got that frozen money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, has he put a door in his bathroom yet on that podcast?
1: I don't know. I don't think I've heard that, that he doesn't have a door on his Famously, bathroom.
0: there is no... She put him up in the attic...
1: Oh yeah. When
0: he Oh, podcast, for the podcast, like, that's right. And there's no door on their, or at least there wasn't anyway. There was famously no door in the bathroom. Nobody like, where, talks he, about
1: it, so yeah. I'm assuming that they put a door on the bathroom. Uh, they sold out. It <laughs> <laughs> changed.
0: That comes out when they get a divorce. That's yeah, they, that's when that story will come out.
1: Yeah. Oh, never.
0: Don't even speak no, it, Mike. Never. The best. They have to stay
1: together forever. I love her so much. Me She's so too. funny. She is. She's one of my, like, talisman for (laughs) for my career. (laughs) Yeah, she seems very kind. And funny.
0: Courtney, have you been asked
1: all these questions on your own podcast yet? No.
0: Can I ask them to you? Just one. What do you think people wouldn't know about you when they met you?
1: That I'm a Slytherin.
0: Oh, totally. Oh, that's my favorite piece of Courtney trivia. You're totally a Slytherin. Yeah, people think that you're Gryffindor or Hufflepuff.
1: 100% Slytherin. (laughs) 100% Slytherin okay when you think about me as a slytherin what's like an example of my Slytherinness? i
0: do think there's an occasional like cut the bullshit in a way that can feel very like ugh, clasp my pearls and it always comes in moments after you've said something really lovely and kind and then you'll just like demolish something or someone in one sentence and i'm like that's a slytherin <laughs> But it's always dead on. You're never wrong. I don't know how I feel about that.
1: (laughs) I think you should feel good. I aspire to that. Okay. Okay. Even though I'm content, I'm also ambitious. Yes. I think that's a good thing, though. Yeah. I strive to be a balance of the two, both content and ambitious. I think Reese Witherspoon said, like,
0: ambition is not a dirty word. I feel like I'm contradicting myself because before this I was like, ambition. But no, because I also think there's so much for women, at least, the like claiming
1: of what you want. And going after what you want and feeling worthy full circle. Yeah, that's right. Also, I think I want to talk about before you go, we have been talking for what, like a year now about doing a Hot Ones Challenge with each other. <gasps> and I am yes. so excited for my birthday this year in September. Our friends are going to do Hot Ones Challenge. It's <laughs>
0: so good. It's If it could be nominated for Emmys, I think it should like win them all.
1: And the funny thing is, is like, Sean, who hosts it, is not the most charismatic person in the world. He's like not the best host, but he just has intestines of steel. Yeah. And like a great idea. I'm
0: assuming it was his idea. You would think so. I mean, it's brilliant to get people who you're used to seeing like be very posh and in total Mm -hmm. control and glamorous to come on and just lose their shit and sweat. Oh, my God. Will Farrell's is so funny. Oh, my God. So funny. Chrissy Teigen's is so funny. Margot Robbie, she, yes. like, really, the, the medical expert has to come over and check on her because she's having such a hard
1: time. <laughs> I didn't remember that. Oh, yeah. And they, like, do all something the, fancy. Like- all of the uh, don't touch your eyes. I feel like we're going to have to keep reminding each other not to touch our eyes. We need to just, each of us, tape a post-it to our laptops mm-hmm. that says do not touch your
0: eyes. I'm so excited about it. In my head, so this is the Slytherin part of me. I've already decided at which hot sauce certain people are going to bail. <gasps> okay, tell me more. Where do you think I'm going to bail? I think you're going to go a long time. I think, so Scott, maybe turn this off right now. I think Scott's going to go out on like number three.
1: No. I don't think. No, he's better. He's pretty good about hot stuff. I would say we're doing, what, nine hot sauces? Yeah. I would say he goes out on six. Okay, that's generous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. I I think you go all the
1: way. You go all the way to the last dab. I don't know if I'll make it to the last dab, honestly.
0: I'm concerned, though, because... I love hot sauce, but what if I've just been playing like in Little League, you Mm -hmm. know, this entire time? That's what Brie Larson said in her. She's like, I feel like
1: I can eat hot
0: sauce, but maybe I can't. Well, I know that whenever I go to an Indian restaurant or a Thai restaurant and I ask for spicy... I am greeted with a whole other level. That's when I really realized that I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to try
1: to stay humble and just see how it goes. We have till September so we can work up. You know, we can order some spicy Thai. Actually, my friend Roland is a chef and he just gave us some red curry that was pretty spicy. I think I might ask him to make it like the spiciest he can make it just so I can practice.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. See, these are goals. We need to write these down. And this is actually good because it gives me something to work for okay. in this
1: this helpless, <laughs> hopeless time. My goal is to get
0: to the last dab and still live. I think they should do another segment of Hot Ones, which is the morning after. Oh, my God. Nobody wants so- to
1: see that. Well,
0: I don't want to see like a close-up in a toilet, but I just want an interview the next day, which is like... How bad was your morning? Oh and then God. it's these celebrities just like <laughs> glassy eyed like they've been through war. <laughs> that's that's the next idea, Sean, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kelly, I love you so much. I love you so much. This was the best. It was like just a
1: catch up call. Which yeah, is really,
0: it's the best thing.
1: Um, How can people find you? Where can they watch what you've done, especially St. Francis?
0: Yes. So St. Francis, you can rent or buy on, I think, almost all streaming platforms. And this is going to show that I only know two, including Amazon and iTunes.
1: What is the best
0: way for you personally for them to buy it? I think iTunes. Okay. And then if you like the movie and you want to leave a positive review either on Amazon or iTunes, that stuff really does make a difference. Yes, it does.
1: Yes, it does please give a five-star review to St. Francis and to this podcast because you love them both. You know
0: it. (laughs) That's right. Courtney, I do love this podcast. I genuinely adore it and listen to it and have learned a lot from it.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm working Mm. with my coach on my need for approval. And uh, this is is one of the things where I'm like, just you don't need approval. You're doing it because you love doing it. (laughs) That's exactly right. Let me take back my approval. No, I I love your approval.
0: No, no, no. (laughs) No, I think, I honestly think you're awesome. And I think it's so amazing that the world is getting access to. You're brilliant because what you've done for our friend group for years is you've been an unpaid clarity coach. (laughs) Honestly, we've all really benefited from it. And so I'm just excited that people are able to share in some of the riches that I've enjoyed for a long time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah,
1: You're amazing. You're so talented and beautiful and funny and lovely as a human. And I'm so glad I get to call you one of my best friends. And I miss you. I want to see you in person again soon. Yes, very soon. You can come over to the backyard of my new apartment. We'll get to hang out. Wait, did you get it? I got the apartment!
0: Yay! That's so exciting. Not just living in Alex's parents' house anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So what's
1: funny is for some reason, all of our friends choose to live in the same buildings as each other. Yes. uh, It started when I moved into our friend Steph's building and then... Our friend Darcy moved in there, and then Kelly moved in there, and then Darcy moved out, and then I moved out, but I moved into another friend's building, and then now Kelly's moving into another friend's building. <laughs> so it's just yeah. We call it the dorms because it feels That's like right. college.
0: It's the best that you can just pop upstairs, and Alex is a cook, and we need people oh to God. cook for,
1: so it's Oh good. my God, he's such an amazing cook. If he ever mm. like decides to give up. Film. I hope he goes into being a chef. I think he would. I think he's honestly going to do both. Oh yeah, he'll be
0: he'll be like a home chef for forever and make films on the side.
1: You guys should have, and I would love to be on it too, like a travel cooking show or a travel oh. eating show.
0: Yes. Oh God, I would love that. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll all be able to travel again soon. Yeah. Soonish. I forgot for a second that we can't travel.
1: <laughs> that makes me sad.
0: I know. I think it's better that way. It's better to occasionally be like, oh, yeah. to, to lose track of what moment we're in. But I think we'll be able to travel. Don't you think in like six months from now? Kelly, you're the one who said two weeks. <laughs> so now That's I right. think six months is probably nowhere <laughs> <laughs> Near close. Oh gosh, I think I've learned my lesson,
1: and now I'm just okay. being, you're being more realistic. run of the mill. Yeah. Okay. Realistic. Okay. Six months would be great if we could travel, and I really want to go. I want to take everybody that I love to Kika's farmhouse in Tuscany and do cooking classes and food tours with her because we did that. So I just want to bring everybody back there that like I love. So you're invited.
0: I accept. I will be there with bells on, riding on that Vespa. Let's write it down in our yeah. gold journal. I'll do it. The Vespa. I love it. I can
1: picture it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Almost caused several accidents. Oh, no. They, they don't really train you. They put you on a Vespa, and they sort of, like, tell you which one is the break. And then they're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and then there's a man on a Vespa speeding in front of you. You're supposed to keep up with him.
1: Oh, no, never. I would be so afraid.
0: It was so fun, but I was like... I think I grasp consequences just a little too much for this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm very aware of how dangerous this is. Oh, my God. But whatever. Let's do it. If we're able to travel again, then it's we can try
1: a Vespa. I will try a Vespa with you. Okay. All right. I love you, friend, and hopefully see you soon. I love you. I'll talk to you
0: soon. Bye.
1: you guys. It's the end of season one. Thank you, Kelly O'Sullivan, for being our final guest. What a great way to end the season. And we've already got some great guests lined up for season two. Season two is going to be more TV focused. So casting directors, producers, actors as well, writers of TV. If you've got someone in mind that you know would be great on the podcast, let me know. I'd love to hear your ideas. Before I go, I just want to give a special thank you to Jamie and Eric at Blythe Martin Productions for my catchy theme music. A lot of you have been telling me you've been um, singing it throughout the day, so I'm sorry. And to Joe Mazza at Brave Lux for my amazing photo and my logo. To Mike Caputo at Pod Clubhouse for producing this podcast. Yes, season one. The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is produced under the sag new media contract. Thank you, SAG-AFTRA. You are awesome. I hope you've been inspired. I hope you learned something, and I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in next season. The Whole Artist with Courtney
0: Rue The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue is a Pod Clubhouse original production. Produced, engineered, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. Follow us online at podclubhouse.com.